All right, we got some real curious stuff to look at tonight, all right? So we're going to talk about in the days of Noah. We're going to actually be in Genesis chapter 6, looking at the first few verses of chapter 6. So uh, just a little review, kind of talking about what, we, what we've been dealing with. The Bible gives an explanation as to why our world is in such a mess. And what is that explanation uh, so far? What is, what, what is sin? We've, we have broken away from God. We've kind of went our own way. The Bible reveals human nature too. It talks, just talks, talks about us as humans and some of our tendencies. Uh, the Bible reveals the nature of God, which is the most important subject of the whole thing. And uh, we, we keep seeing God intervening, intervening, God stepping in, God trying to rescue those who have gone astray. So now, reviewing again, there are two kinds of people as history begins to unfold. We get this out of Genesis 3.15. Uh, we're calling those the snake people. Those, that's the bad guys, right? Uh, the seed of the serpent is the way Genesis 3.15 says it, the snake people. Uh, and then you got the woman's people or the seed of the woman, uh, those that will come from them. And it's, it's, we say good guys, bad guys, that kind of thing, but it's, it's not as cut and dry as you would like, to, like it to be sometimes. Uh, how, how do you come into allegiance with the snake? How do you come into allegiance? What, what, what do we learn? You follow his ways, right? Uh, we, the big story is Cain, isn't it? Cain, he, he's, he's tempted to, uh, he's really angry, he's upset with his brother, and God comes to him and says, look, man, you don't know what's happening here. You Do the right thing and everything will be okay. It'll go well with you, is what it says. Uh, but if you do not do the right thing, then sin is crouching at the door ready to take you over, ready to devour you. And how does, he, how does Cain come into allegiance? Now, Cain kind of starts out as the seed of the woman. I mean, that's Eve's boy. He is the seed of the woman. But through his choices, falling into sin, through his choices, he becomes into allegiance with the snake, part of the snake family kind of deal. All right, now, let me ask you this. Is there redemption after you've been injected with the snake's venom? Is there hope for redemption? You better hope so. Because everybody's got snake bit. Yeah. All right, so now... So the Bible gives us about the nature of God, the nature of man, but it also gives us the ultimate solution that God gives to fix our world, and that is to be reconciled to God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, that's the way the story begins to unfold as we get all the way through the New Testament. So through Christ, uh, we're forgiven of our sins, and we also learn to love God and to love our neighbors, right? That's what he teaches us to do. Now, now the early chapters of Genesis set the table for, for Jesus to come, the snake crusher to come into the world. And th- that snake crusher is going to come. And as he steps on the head of the serpent, the serpent's going to strike his heel. So he will be injured or even killed in the battle. But he will kill the serpent. He will do away with the serpent. Uh, now, there's an interesting passage in Romans 16. I don't even know if we talked about that. But it says this. It says, the God will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Hmm. Hmm. So the snake crusher teaches us how to crush the snake. <laughs> ah, just another idea. All right, so now we're, we're introduced to Noah. We, we read a little bit about Noah, I think, uh, a few weeks ago. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been in our study. Genesis 5.29, we are introduced to Noah. Noah, it says this, that he is the one, this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. Now the word Noah literally means in the Hebrew it means rest. So Noah is going to come and bring rest. That that's the prophecy. Okay, so now as we get into Noah's story, 
It's the story of the flood. It's from Genesis 6. It's 6, 7, 8, and 9 of Genesis. All right, that is the flood story. So we've come through all the creation story, the Eden story. We've come through the fall story. We've come through the Cain story. Uh, we've come through the genealogy in chapter 5. And now from 6 through 9, we've got the flood story. So we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about the flood. And next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about the ark and what all that means and what, how that's a portrayal of salvation and all that kind of thing. Um, so let, let's, let's look at this. Now, before we read the first part of chapter 6, uh, Genesis 6, 1 through 4 is very controversial. It's a very controversial passage. Uh, there are differing interpretations. I'm going to give you my, my understanding of it and why I believe what I believe on that, that particular subject. Uh, something really crazy and strange and evil is going on in the first part of chapter 6. It, it is so bad that God hits the reset button on creation. He literally has a divine reset that has, involves a catastrophic judgment over the whole world. So uh, you're going to see sons of God as we read. You're going to hear about daughters of men. You're going to hear about giants, mighty men, all of this. All right, you ready? I don't know if you're ready for this or not. <laughs> all right, so listen up. Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 6. All right, now it came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yes, his days shall be 120 years. And there were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. You breathing yet? <laughs> it's interesting. We'll unpack some of that in a moment. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I, who I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. I think the old King James said, I repent that I have made them, or, or maybe the idea of regret. But Noah, in this dark black backdrop, it's, there's one light. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. This is the story of Noah. This is the history of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They're going to have big parts in, in the upcoming parts of the story. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. That's a pretty dark part of the story, huh? It's pretty, pretty dark. Let's, let's kind of unpack some of this. Let's see where we're going here. All right, so now, this, this idea of good and evil. We've been introduced to the, the words good and evil. What, what was it in the context of initially? The tree. the tree, right? The tree. The tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And that was the, that was the forbidden fruit, the forbidden, forbidden tree. Uh, look, look at this idea. I want you to see these word plays that's going on. And, and 
until somebody really points it out to you, you read it in a body or chapter here, chapter there, and you don't really see it. But when, when it gets pulled together, and thank God for scholars who, who are just Bible nerds, and they get in there and they dig all this stuff out for us. Thank God for them. Genesis 1 and 2. Look at this wordplay. And God saw that it was good. That is said in Genesis 1 and 2. That's said seven times. All right? God saw that it was good. All right, in Genesis 3, 6, <coughs> concerning the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good, and she took of its fruit and ate. And then, then we just read in Genesis 6, 2, the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. That, I hate the translators translate it beautiful because the word actually is the same word for good right there. Uh, if, you, if you study the Hebrew, you get into your word studies and do the concordance studies and all that kind of thing. You'll see that the Hebrew has a way of repeating words over and over and over and over again. I mean, there are some passages where the, uh, the same word is repeated four or five times in the same couple verses because they use emphasis by repeating. English does different. English doesn't like repeating. If I, if I was writing a paper to my English professor and I repeated something and went over here, she would say, get you a thesaurus and find you another word. The Hebrew doesn't do that. Now, the Hebrew just keeps repeating, repeating. That's why they changed the translation a little bit. But, but if you do your study, you'll f- figure that out. Uh, they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves and had children. So now look at the woman. She saw that it was good. What was, she, only, she only saw the good part. She didn't see the bad part. And she took it. Now the sons of God, they see that something's good and they take it. Okay? Now, what, what in the world's going on here? Now 6 5 says this. Then the Lord saw. Now he's seeing, everybody's seeing something. Now the Lord saw and he sees wickedness. It's the word evil. The good and evil thing. He saw the wickedness of man and that it was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually now what in the world is all that that seeing and taking all right here's the idea here in this passage humans and spiritual beings are now taking did you see they took they took they are taking it upon themselves to make choices based on what they think is good and evil who are they leaving out of the equation god is left out of the equation So the story is telling us, left to ourselves and to the power of sin, we devolve into calling good evil and evil good. That's kind of what's happening in our world today, isn't it? Over and over and over. People, evil's being called good and good's being called evil. All right? So there's, there's a warning here that's throughout all these stories. When you cut God out of your thought process, when you cut God out of your life, when you cut God out of your decision making, when you cut God out of first place and priority in your life or go around him to do your own thing, it always leads to death. Always. Some sort of death. Always. Death of a relationship, the death of integrity, of a character, innocence, death of a relationship between you and God. Some sort of death. In, in this case with Adam and Eve, it, it led to the death was an exile from, from paradise. And then, of course, we get Genesis 5, the genealogy, and they died, and they died, and they died, and they died. Remember that, that drum beat, and they died. And the, it says it over and over in the genealogy because death has now entered into the world. That's what that, that, that long chapter of names is telling us. All right? So now, what in the world is all this? Let's talk about this. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. So procreation's happening. Daughters were born. 
And the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful or they were good. And they took wives for themselves of all they chose. Now, who in the world are these sons of God? Literally, the word is sons of Elohim. And Elohim in the Hebrew is a word that's described to, to, to uh, label spiritual beings. Okay, now God is the Elohim, but Elohim is also used in a general context of spiritual beings. Now, here, here's where it gets really squirrely. So it, if, we, if we do a word study on the phrase sons of God, we find it exactly like that three times in the Old Testament. It's all in the book of Job. Job 1, 6, 2, 1, and 38, 7. The word is used to describe spiritual beings, or maybe what we would call angelic beings of some kind. Okay, so what this, this passage is, is throwing out to us, that spiritual beings saw the daughters of men, and they took them for themselves. Hmm, isn't that something? Now, I'll be honest with you that other scholars believe that that's talking about the sons of God being the sons of Seth, uh, how they co-mingled and, and they fall into idolatry. Um, I just don't, I don't buy that because of the way it's, the word, the phrase is used throughout the rest of the text. Um, Job 1, 6 and 2, 1, you would know that if we were to crack it open and look at it. You can go study it yourself later. But that's when the opposer, Satan, comes to God at, it, during this, uh, it's like a council meeting. God had a council meeting and they all come. All these spiritual beings come into God's council and they said something about everybody's serving you and God says, have you considered my servant Job? All the sons of God were gathered together before God is what it says in Job 1 and chapter 2. All right. So now that, that may be a little bit of stretch for you, but l- let me keep unpacking here. So what Genesis 6 is attributing to us, attributing to the world that a a major problem with all the sin that has spread into the world is this idea of these these spiritual beings who have transgressed and now they have spread evil even more so on the face of the earth and violence. Verse 3, stick with me. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Basically, what we would say in, in modern vernacular, God said, look, I ain't going to put up with this much longer. All right. Janice, you'd asked a question a couple weeks ago about that 120. Uh, now, there's two ideas about the 120. What is, what's this 120 years? One idea is that man's lifespan is now shortened to 120 years. That's one way to interpret that. The way I see it, God is sounding the warning bell And he is saying, the countdown has begun. Y'all have 120 years until the flood. And the reason I'm saying that is the 120 years is, is there's other people that live longer than 120 years even after the flood. And after, in fact, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all lived past 120 years. Okay. Now, is man's lifespan shortened after the flood? Absolutely. There's no more 900 men, 900 year old men living. Okay. Noah will be the last of that, really. He lives to be 950 years old. Okay? So God comes and he says, I, I, this, I've had it. I've had it with all this. I'm not going to keep putting up with this. I'm not going to keep striving and trying to pull you back to me. you got 120 years. Now, we're going to see later. We'll do this next week, I believe, Lord willing. Uh, we're going to see later that it's going to take Noah quite a while to build the ark. Scholars believe it's anywhere from 50 to 75 years it takes 
Noah. So in that 120-year period, about 75 of those are going to be to build an ark, the ark of safety. Okay. So the countdown has begun. All right. Now, verse six four. This kind of brings some more of that stuff about the the what's called the Nephilim. It's going to bring some of this this uh, to bear. It says there were giants on the earth in those days, and also after those days. And when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Hmm. You ought to read your Bible. It's got some real weird stuff in it sometimes. Like some real weird stuff. I mean, this is weird. This is, this is talking about these mighty men, these, these giants, that these, this union between these angelic spiritual beings and these daughters of men have produced in the earth these giants who are called mighty men. They're, they're warriors. They're killing machines is what they, they are. Okay? Now, <laughs> I hesitate to ask you any questions. <laughs> Sure, we got lots of questions. I've grappled over this for 30 years. This passage right here. There were giants over there. Now, are there any giant stories in the Bible? Hmm. What are, what are some of them you think about? Well, David and Goliath. The sons of Anak. David and Goliath. He was the most famous. The word Goliath means champion. Is what it was. He was the champion of the Philistines, right? Mm-hmm. Was. He got beat out by a little shepherd boy with a slingshot. <laughs> of course, God had a lot to do with that. Now, what, what's, what's another giant story? Well, there's one guy in the Bible who's got that described like that. Yeah. You know, uh, what about? Remember the spies that go out into the land? What did they see? That, those men that were there were greater and mightier than he, and the sons of Anak were there, the giants were there. And we were like grasshoppers in their sight. And the description of Goliath, you know, depending on how, how the, the measurement goes, uh, he could have been up to, you know, eight, nine, ten feet tall. That's a big dude. Okay. Uh, he's a little slow of foot, but he's big. <laughs> and Daddy always said, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Yeah, that could be it. If you ain't quick, you might fall. That's right. So, so there were giants on the earth. These uh, these hybrid creatures. Hmm. Now, here's the interesting thing about if you know anything about ancient history, uh, most civilizations have these hybrid stories. Actually, uh, nearly every movie that deals with something like this has one of these. Some goofy guy named Og or something. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's that's one of these huge, humongous, mighty men type deal. All right. So you good? Are you okay? Ghostbusters had one. Ghostbusters had one. That's right. Well, actually, a lot of those things do play off of you know these these biblical stories. Yes, ma'am. Gen, it's Genesis 6, I mean, I'm reading 6. Verse 1 through 4. It's verse 2 and 4 exactly is that story. Okay, There were giants on the earth in those days. <coughs> now, what it's telling us, too, is that the ones with the most power were the most corrupt. These were the mighty warriors of their day, um, leaders of militaries, killing machines. 
Now, now this is a whole other part of the story, but when God goes in, God goes to Joshua and he tells them, when you go into the land, I want you to literally wipe out these folks. Now, he doesn't say that for everybody. Now, he's not saying to kill everybody. But there are some places where he says, I want you to go kill everybody and the goat and cat and dog and everything. You know why? It has to do with this, this stuff right here. That this corruption had, has happened in these civilizations and God said, I want them off the earth. I want them gone. You see? Now, I know that's a stretch for you. Now, I've, I've processed this for many, many years. So, I mean, I know it's hit you like a ton of bricks probably like, whoa, what's in the Bible? There it is, right there. What's that? Always, just you know, just going through studies and stuff. I always thought when it said giants, because I heard what you're talking about too. But I always, I thought it was the giant of a man, the talking about the mighty man. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know. Like the big warrior guy yes. kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And and some people take that view. Yeah. Some people do take that view. Um, the reason I, I, I take more mystical view in it is because of what is wrapped up, how the word sons of God are used. Okay. What's in Job, yeah. The sons of God come and, and to meet with God. Now, here's the interesting thing. These, these are called the sons of God because why? Why are they called the sons of God? Who created them? God did. They're, that's his heavenly family. This is part of his heavenly family. God is, is, here's a whole nother deal. You can read Psalm 89 and Psalm 82. God is portrayed as, as like a king who has a council. Like, like this would be a room full of people that God would, would use as his council. Now he's the final say. He's the, he, he doesn't need everybody's advice, but what we understand about God, like he doesn't need us. But he chooses and he wants to share his authority and his kingdom with everybody. So he creates a heavenly family. And he's got people like Michael in, in that council. He's got people like Gabriel in that council. Uh, there's seraphim and cherubim in that council. There, there's, there's, there's people. Uh, it's believed that, that Lucifer was in that council as well. Satan, the opposer, the Satan is what he's called. He was in that council as well. We're not sure how big it was, how many it was. Um, they're called the sons of God because they were a part of God's inner circle, so to speak, his governing body. What he used to govern heaven and, and the heavenlies. Whatever that means. Now it's far out for us to think about that. Okay? But there's rebellion there. In that council. Lucifer's one of those that rebels. He goes his own way. These are called the sons of God. The ones in this council. Like this room here. The sons of God. Here's the interesting thing. Guess who in the New Testament is called the sons of God? It's not a trick question. Us. Believers. Believers are called the sons of God. Because what we are going to do... In fact, one passage says we're going to judge the angels. What we're going to do is we take the place... We will take our rightful place in the council of God. We will be a part of the council of God. And we as believers will rule and reign with Christ Jesus. The scripture says that. Now that's far out because most of us have a picture of heaven with somebody singing on a hymnal and picking a harp with a fat angel beside them. But that's not biblical. Okay. So we're called the sons of God in the New Testament. Hmm. How about that? That's interesting. There's a lot. There's a lot here and a lot probably I can't answer. And there's a lot of weird stuff here too. 
And I, I'm not too big to say I don't know certain things. But, but I, 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 I'm leaning into all this, what I'm talking about. All right? Now, now let's, 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 let's go here. Since, since you got some questions there, let's go to 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20. And help me out on the, the passage here. 1 Peter 3, is that what it is? 1 Peter 3. See, this, I, I'm not just saying this is my, my take on it. 18 through 20. Listen to this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. By whom also he went, Jesus went, and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. So I'm not saying, I'm, I mean, I'm not out in left field somewhere now. I want you, this is the Apostle Peter talking about this. Did you see what he just said? Those angels, God, Jesus went to hell to preach to those spirits that were in prison. Mm-hmm. So what's the next passage? 2 Peter what? 2 Peter 2, 4 through 6. Now listen to this. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world, on the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Did you see that little phrase right there? For God did not spare, if he did not spare the angels who sinned. See what I'm talking about? So I'm not in left field here now. Okay, what was the, what's the last one? Jude? Jude is just one short chapter. Listen to this. Jude, this is the brother of Jesus, Jude. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh and set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. See what I'm talking about? They broke their proper domain. They stepped across the sacred boundary. And did something they weren't supposed to do. And God locked them up until judgment. So how you doing? Your Sunday school brain just went bam. It just exploded, didn't it? <laughs> Has anybody ever heard this stuff besides what I'm telling you? Has anybody ever heard this stuff? I mean, it's not necessarily commonly preached, but it's not, it's not a secret either. You know? All right. Y'all good? Sure, you're wonderful, right? Just absolutely good. All right. So now. Here's, here's important ideas. Above all, God is a father, and he wants family. So he's got two parts to his family. He's got the heavenly part, which that's the angels and other spiritual beings, which we talked a little bit about that just a second ago. He's got the heavenly part, maybe what we would call the unseen realm or the invisible realm, the spirit realm. He's got the heavenly part, but he's also got the human part. That's us, right? That's the earth, all the creation that's here, including us. So in the early chapters of Genesis, what we witness, we witness rebellion in both realms, in the heavenly realm and in the earthly realm. Okay, now 
So, so you say, what, what's, the, what's the rebellion in the, in the earthly realm, the human realm? What's the rebellion with them? No, just in the stories we've seen so far. Adam and Eve in the garden. Cain. Lamech. He's got a problem there, right? So we're seeing this. And now in Genesis 6, it's like all humanity is, is, is gone. I mean, they, they're off the chain now. I mean, it's, it's, the, the train is off the tracks, as the boy would say. They, they are absolutely full of violence and full of sin and full of evil. Okay, so, so we see that human rebellion. Now, where's the heavenly rebellions? There, there are two of them that, that I know of. They're heavenly re- rebellion. Well, where did that serpent come from? He's part of the heavenly rebellion. He's telling us something's going on. Now, the Bible is not interested in answering all our questions. That's one beef I've got. But it does answer what's needed. But I've got a lot of other questions that I don't get answered by the Bible. When did that happen? How did that happen? What in the world got in that boy's crawl or he thought he could go against the Elohim? What in the world happened? Because when God settled the dust, I mean, he, he rose up in pride and said, I'm, I'm going to be like the Most High. And God said, oh, really? Bam! It was over. And he was cast out of heaven like lightning, Jesus said. And by the time everybody could see again, after all that brightness and light had happened, they said, where'd he go? And God said, don't worry about him. Now, were there other beings that fell with Lucifer? It seems like it's very possible. Hmm. We, don't, we don't have a lot of detail. Although there is a detail in Revelation 12 that talks about a third of the angels wrapped up in the dragon's tail. So we're not sure when that happened. So now we got another heavenly revolt right here in Genesis 6, what we just read. Another heavenly rebellion in Genesis 6. All right. And, and he, he must have had. That's where the demonic realm comes from. Okay? They are former sons of God who have become fallen creatures. All right? So now, all this is a challenge for us to understand and to, to grasp, okay? Because we, we've all been raised on a materialistic view of the world. In other words, it's got to go through the scientific theory, uh, the spiritual phenomenon, including God. You know, we, we can live with it or without it. You know, we're kind of raised on that. Especially since the Enlightenment kind of deal. Uh, God in the spirit realm either doesn't exist or is removed from the workings of our daily life. I just want to go to work. I want to do my business, take care of my family, and go about my business. Do it. Now, the Bible does not agree with the materialistic viewpoint. Not at all. The Bible is very clear to teach that God is very personal. That God inhabits His people through the Holy Spirit. New Testament theology there, that God is very personal and the spirit realm is very real and it's very active. You know that. It's active on the good and the evil. There's all kinds of Bible stories and life stories about people having these encounters with God or these encounters with evil. And there are times, this is where it's hard for us to grab, there are times when the spiritual activity reaches through into our world. It manifests itself into our world. There are times when that happens. It's like the veil gets tore back or something happens. All right? Be it good or bad. Has anybody ever experienced anything like that? Yeah. Good or bad? Yes. I hope so. I hope you experienced the good at least. 
So now, <coughs> the Bible teaches us to be responsible for our decisions. We can't blame the devil. We can't say the devil made me do it. You are responsible for your decisions. Adam and Eve, the devil helped them do it. But they're responsible for their choice in it, weren't, weren't they? Cain was too. Okay? But we're also to be mindful that there are other influences in the world, good and bad. Okay? Now, it's important to note, Jesus didn't go around saying that all this strange phenomenon was just psychological problems. That's the kind of way we explain it away today, where they just got some mental problems. Now, there are such things as mental problems now, don't get me wrong. Jesus directly rebukes, names, calls out spiritual beings, agitating people all the time. Peter, in one of his sermons, said, Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Right? So now that doesn't mean that all problems are spiritually, are caused by these demonic forces or evil forces. That doesn't mean that all problems, some problems just caused by the, the world we live in and some caused by stupid decisions we make. Right? But we cannot. See, we've, we developed in this, this age, we've developed a theology that doesn't incorporate all the things Jesus believed. You know what I'm talking about? We've divorced ourselves from it. One, because it's kind of weird. And two, because the people that got in there got weird and they went flaky. So it's hard to take them. But the, the Bible is very plain. We've got a threefold enemy. The world, that's the world system. That's all just anti-Christ. It's anti-God. We've got an enemy called the flesh. That's the parts of us that are not quite in line with God. That fleshly mind, that old fleshly appetites, desires. That's the flesh. And when God deals with believers, guess what he deals with the most? The flesh. He deals with, Paul deals with that consistently, the flesh. Your problem is your flesh. Your problem is you. You've got to get your mind renewed. You've got to get your thoughts straight. You've got to start making better decisions. You've got to learn to love your neighbor. All, all these things. That's dealing with the flesh. You've got to learn to fast. Tell that flesh it, it is not in control. All that kind of stuff. The world, the flesh, and then there's the devil. Okay? Now, with this spiritual emphasis, I couldn't help but go to Ephesians 6, which you know this one. Ephesians six twelve. Paul says this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Humans, people are not your enemy. You may fight with them, but you're not fighting the right fight. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. You hear what I'm talking about? All right. So, let's wrap this up. We're, we're running out of time. Y'all getting y'all, y'all quiet. I don't know if y'all are absorbing or you're protesting. Or your mind's blown. I don't know. So, the state of things in Genesis 6. So, the spiritual beings have crossed the sacred boundary. And they produced the giants who were the mighty men, who were the killing machines. That's what Goliath was. You know, Goliath was a killing machine. And everybody knew it. I mean, one man went down in the valley and said, I'm going to whoop all of y'all. And everybody in the whole army believed it. He was a bad dude. Verse 5 of chapter 6. The evil of man was great. What do you, what do you think about that? I mean, think about it. We're just a few generations in now. 
I don't, we don't even know what the population was, but it's conceivable that it could have been several hundreds of thousands of people at this point in time. What, what do you think that, 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 I mean, that's kind of a summary statement. What, the evil of man was great. What do you think that's saying? What, what's going on in the world? What's happening? This evil, I mean, it, it, it's bad. I mean, think, bad stuff's happening all over the place. People, I mean, what, if you think about evil, what would you think about? What, what are some of the activities? Killing, murder, sexual immorality, Sodom and Gomorrah, all kinds of perversion, thieving, stealing. Yeah, it sounds like the five o'clock news, don't it? I mean, for real. And it says this about the, the state of things. It says every intent. Now, this, that's a powerful statement. Every intent and imagination of the human heart was evil continually. That's awful, isn't it? I mean, love your neighbor is gone. I mean, it, it ain't, of course, that's going to be a law given later. But that's just kind of understood. The land was corrupt or ruined before God. I mean, even the earth was suffering. Creation was suffering. The land was filled with violence. People coming against each other, hurting each other, killing each other. All flesh has corrupted or ruined their way on the earth. Everybody has managed to ruin their life. And the life God intended especially. Hmm, That's the state of things. Now God's response is really telltale right here now. It's interesting that God's initial response is not anger. God's initial response is not wrath. Verse 6, listen to this. This is is God we're talking about here. It's giving us some idea about the nature of God. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. What was God's first reaction to sin? Here's here's the way it's portrayed in the Hebrew. That word sorry right there, it actually describes an activity. It describes a sigh. Like, like Like... like, like a, a deep, sorrowful sigh. It said, God, I mean, we literally, it literally could say, and the Lord gave out a deep, sighing breath over what was going on in the earth. I, I added this regret for what's been done and what must be done to correct it. Hmm. He was grieved in his heart grief, sadness, pain. I like to say it like this. God was absolutely heartbroken over what his sons and daughters on the earth were doing. It's just like as a parent. Yeah. see our children. No doubt. Going down the wrong road or whatever and we're Now some of us have been in situations with our kids to where you, you, you know about that, that sorry. Not that you're sorry that you made them or had them. But it can get that bad sometimes. I, I've, I've sat with parents. That have their kids are off into something crazy. I'm talking about real deep darkness. And parents said, I hate to feel this way, but I just wish the Lord would take them home, take them out of here. I've sat with parents that's had that kind of this kind of grief right here. That they would rather I mean, I can promise you now, my dad would rather see me dead than causing chaos on the earth. He just would. And he might be the one to do it, actually. <laughs> he threatened me a few times on that deal. So 
So now I hope, I hope you're not in a situation where you would ever have to feel that. I, I hope not. But I've sat with people that have felt that. And the grief of their heart is so great that there's absolutely no tear that can come out that could express it. It's just the heart, their heart broken over it. Some of you had family members in and out of substance abuse. You know what that feels like. It's just heartbreaking. And God sees no other way out. Now, here, here's God's second response. And it's heavy. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. That's terrible. Isn't it? That's terrible to have to be put in that position. Isn't it something that God can feel that kind of emotion though? What, what does it mean that God could feel regret? You know, I, I, sometimes we have this stoic view of God that he's just, he's so omniscient and he knows so much everything. He's not surprised by anything. He's not moved by anything. He just takes it in stride and says, okay, well, we'll just start over with Noah. We'll go about our business and start over. That's not the way it's painted in here now. It's painted that God absolutely grieved himself sick over what was going on in the earth. Now, sometimes I think about what he's looking over heaven and seeing us doing, seeing what's going on in our world. I would dare say, especially with people trying to twist up the, the very idea of a man and woman and how babies are born or how babies need to be killed. In fact, there's, a, there's, there's the Democratic Party right now, the Democrat Party right now, their number one platform for the election is abortion. Are you kidding me? Out of all the problems in our world, that's the one. Are you serious? I mean, I, I, I can feel God's stomach turning on that deal. I'm telling you, if that, if that happens, I, I, I'm, well, I'm not a prophet. I'll let the Lord handle it. But if it goes that route, I, I believe we've hit the point of no return, to be honest with you. So I hope not. I'm, I'm praying for mercy and God's intervention. But I, I can feel God's stomach turning over this whole mess. You know, and when that happens, it ain't good. Right? And that's where we're going. Hmm. But Noah. The scripture says, but Noah. Now, I, hey, just, just hold what you got. I'm going to flip through that. All right? I'm, we're going to come back to that next week. All right? But Noah. So Noah becomes the the... The anti of all that mess that's going on. Now let's go to the, Matthew 24 as we close right here. And that's what we got. Matthew 24. What was the verse? 24, 37? All right. And that's what, that's what uh, Buddy was just talking about. Matthew 24. This is the words of Jesus. In, in relation to all what I just read to you. Verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. In other words, the world was a mess and absolutely going to hell in a handbasket, if we can use that kind of verbiage. And everybody was still going about their normal everyday life as if everything was okay. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. 
Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Now, it's interesting in, in comparison to this now. You think about this. Look at verse 39. And did not know until the flood came and took them away. Who, in, in Noah's day, who was taken away? The evil. Those who committed evil. Everybody but Noah, right? And his family. They were took away. All, all, all the sinners, so we can call it that. They were taken away. All right, now look at this. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Who's the one that's going to be taken? Well, according to the context, the one that's going to be taken will be the evil, be taken out of the way. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour. You do not expect. You hear that? 